time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, friends. Welcome back to The Right Conversations. I am thrilled and honored to be having a conversation with someone who I consider a friend, a teacher, um, a peer, a colleague, and also someone that I just admire so deeply. Um, I have been learning from her for a little over six months now. Um, and I'm not going to even say anymore. I'm just going to I'm just going to start. So today we are having a conversation about race and racism with Dr. Lynn Maureen Hurdle. Lynn, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Hello to everyone. Thanks for joining and thanks for having me. I am I'm really excited to be here and to meet folks in this conversation. Some people listening may already know who I am, but I always like to say a little bit about myself. And please. Yes. And so I am, first of all, I'm a Bronx girl. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, less important. Bronx has a legacy at this point. And, yeah. uh, and I just honestly am proud to be wherever I travel in the world. There are people who not just know the Bronx, but had family in the Bronx. I was just in Italy and um, and this uh, young man who was part of the, the wait, wait staff uh, asked me where I was from. And <laughs> it's like uh, the United States, where New York, where the Bronx, where? And I said, wait a minute. When I say the Bronx and you say where, you have to be someone who knows the Bronx. He says, yeah, I have relatives in the Bronx. It's amazing. So, yeah, so I'm always proud to say that I am uh, the the youngest daughter of uh, David Leroy Hurdle and Eleanor Blassingham Hurdle. I say that in honor of them. And they are no longer here on this plane, but I am proud to be part of their legacy and uh, to know that the work that I do now is part of their healing process, uh, both as Southerners, my mom really growing up in the South and mm. uh, a part of that history. I am uh, the widow of Warren Johnson Price and the mother of Jabari and uh, Justin Naim Hurdle Price. And I am uh, there in their 20s. So <laughs> they're, they're growing up and doing their own thing. Although uh, Justin Naim is doing the work that I do. And we'll talk about that. I know further in, I've got 40 plus years in the work 
and the living of conflict resolution. I am a conflict resolution strategist and communication expert. And, and I say that proudly. I know sometimes people don't want to say they're an expert at something. I'm always learning expert, but I am an expert in helping people have the conversations, everything from the everyday conversations to the really more difficult ones. And I am the uh, creator of the On the Matter of Race program, which is a journey for, it's a six-month journey for white people who really are interested in learning about racism and doing something about it, taking some action in their own way, in their own part of the world. I'm an author, uh, TEDx speaker, and uh, just a lover of people. I'm so curious about the ways in which we are different. I, I always never understood why difference was uh, seen as bad or strange or ter- I, I just, I've always loved it and uh, loved the way that it enriches my life. And so, um, so I think that that is a little bit of me anyway, is my <laughs> intro. <laughs> you're, you're a badass. Is what you are. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Thank and you. for for anyone listening, that the program that that Lynn just mentioned, the on the matter of race program, which we'll talk about a bit, um, is what I have been doing with her and learning, and it's um, it's really been a very special and important journey that I'm I'm so glad that I'm still still on and yeah. and moving through. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on it. And it's so interesting that, you know, when we first met, we we're just instantly like, yep, yep. <laughs> we like each other. <laughs> yep, exactly. Like from day one. From and then one. we were yes. in Mexico together for a yes. retreat. Yes. Yeah. Bonded a lot there. Yeah. And it's just been it's been really wonderful. So I'm I'm thrilled to be here with your audience. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to ask you where you want to start with this conversation because mm. you you are the expert here in so yeah. many different ways. Yeah. Well, since I'm talking about myself, I think I want to talk about why I even do this work when we talk about race and, and racism, right? Because I grew up from the time I was three years old, I was in dance classes. I was uh, singing. I was uh, later on in, in, you know, in my childhood doing plays and writing plays. So I was acting and, uh, and I really wanted to go into entertainment and be, I saw myself as a star. I truly did. It was nothing that uh, prevented me from seeing that for myself and even in a journey where uh, for me weight was always an issue that people made an issue. It shouldn't have been an issue for me, but it was other people who made an issue. Uh, and while that affected my self-esteem, it, I still never lost that vision. Yep, I'm going to be a star. I have all the talents to do so. And I went to uh, music and art high school in Manhattan and 
and as a singer and then applied to a very prestigious theater program at Syracuse University in New York, upstate New York, and was accepted. So at 17, I knew that I was on my way, like I was going to be this star. And uh, when, uh, from the time that I was born until I was seven years old, we lived in a part of the Bronx uh, called the South Bronx, and it was almost exclusively African-American families that lived there. And at seven years old, my parents decided to move my sister and I up to an all white neighborhood in the Northwest Bronx because my mom in particular was really unhappy with the schools that mm -hmm. uh, existed in our neighborhood. And like a lot of other African-American families, education was seen as the way out, particularly during a time when uh, you know, racism in this country has never waned, to be honest, but uh, yeah. particularly at a time we're talking about the uh, er, the mid-60s, right, uh, when there were a lot of problems. And as for Black people, they saw education as the key to being able to live a better life. And so they moved us to an all-white neighborhood. So this is where I lived. So at 17, had been there for 10 years and was on a bus uh, on the way home. And the bus stopped about a mile from where I live. And I noticed we weren't moving. And also that the doors hadn't opened. No one was getting on. It's a particularly crowded bus. And uh, so I kind of got up here to, to, through the windshield and saw uh, what looked to be at least 50 young white males in red bandanas with baseball bats running toward our bus. And I looked around the bus real quick and I saw the bus driver, myself, and a teenage, a, a black teenage male. We were the only black people on the bus. So I knew we were in trouble. I uh, lived in the neighborhood, neighborhood long enough to know what was coming. And because uh, I can't even tell you how many times uh, we've had to confront in the time that I lived there, that we had to confront some kind of racial violence like this. And so they surrounded the bus and were screaming, you know, get the N, the N word off, come off, come off. And the bus driver, fortunately, would not open the door. And then they decided that they were going to then tip the bus over. And uh, and the only thing that stopped them from doing that is that across the street, a bus came uh, with uh, a lot of black kids who went, who had you know bust their way to a high school that was a little further down and so they ran over there and i the bus driver opened the doors real quickly i got off and so did this young man who was terrified and it turned out it was his first week in the neighborhood and we were so far far enough away from his new home he had no idea how to get home and so i said no i can take you I know all the back routes. And I mean, he was absolutely terrified. And so I can remember very clearly walking from his house to mine. And this voice in my head said, I don't know how, but I think this my purpose is to bring people together around this issue. And remember, I told mm -hmm. you, I knew from three years old, I was going yeah. to be a star. I knew where I was going. I had that mapped out. So I didn't know where this voice came from. I'd never heard a voice You're before. You're like, excuse me, and we're trying I was to make like, it no, to Hollywood? I'm right, that's right. And that's exactly, I was like, what? <laughs> 
And as it turns out, I did my first year in the theater program at Syracuse. And then the second, uh, the second year, well, first of all, the first year they didn't allow you to act. So the second year I transferred out and then ended up coming back. And when I returned, they had opened up a new program called Nonviolent Conflict and Change. And I transferred into it and have been working in the field of, of conflict resolution ever since then. And so for me now to come full circle uh, on the matter of race, that program was created out of another calling. I was asked by two white women who were friends and colleagues and former clients if I'd ever thought about doing uh, putting together a program for white people like them who for the first time in their lives, they actually were having friends of color and sure. would hear them talk about racism and either didn't know what they were talking about or didn't believe them. And they were very clear that it wasn't the friends of color. It was them that they clearly did not know about something that was very critical in their friends' lives. And they felt if they were really friends, they had to, to know. And they trusted that having done this work and conflict resolution, in fact, I've always been attracted, like I said, to difference. So the first thing that I studied when I was <clears throat> starting out in the, in the work was culture and how it sits on top of conflict and how we have all of this unspoken uh, conflict that stems from cultural difference. And so they asked me, like, would I do it? And I said, no. <laughs> My first time, I know I don't want to do it because my experience in the way that we do uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work is that we mandate folks to come and white people mm -hmm. are resistant and don't want to come, don't see what the problem is, and don't want to, uh, in their view, be blamed and shamed and yelled at, which uh, sometimes can happen in diversity work, but uh so I didn't really want to do that in a group that I was creating, that I was going to run. I do that in separate trainings that I do for different corporations and, and nonprofits. But the more, the more that we talked, the, the, that voice came back. And the it was, same one. That same one. It's full circle yeah. time. This is it. This is the work. Right. Uh, and so On the Matter of Race was born about almost exactly four years ago. And we started out with one group of eight people and we are now in have seven groups in five levels. And one of the groups is a C-suite group run in uh, a company called Equinix and which is a tech company. Uh, and um, here we are. The Honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. So I, I, I really want to talk about the importance of, of white people really talking about this issue. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and so, uh, so uh, I know you're supposed to ask me questions, but what prompted you? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh, what prompted me to to sign up? Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, man, so many things. Um, first of all, I love you, mm -hmm. and and if there was anyone that I felt comfortable being uh, psychologically naked around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was going to be you. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a big factor. Mm -hmm. um, but bigger, bigger picture zoomed out. I remember the moment that it clicked for me that racism was not about not always or most of the time about someone's individual yeah. um hatred or biases or um and that plays into it yeah. um but that it was such a bigger thing that similar to your friends that you were saying that i didn't understand how right. it impacted people that i knew and were friends with lives yeah and that that was not okay with me on a personal level mm -hmm. and then learning that there were things like systemic racism and institutional yeah. racism and like mm -hmm. learning that i didn't even know what half of these words were right all of these different forms of racism yeah and the more that i learned the more that i realized i didn't know mm -hmm. and around that same time was when i learned about what you were doing yeah. yeah um so yeah i i wanna you know we've talked a little bit about this offline but like working in mental health mm -hmm. i want to be able to make a difference and i certainly can't help if i don't understand yeah the harm that white people are doing on a daily basis mm -hmm. um yeah. and i don't want to do harm mm -hmm. especially not out of ignorance yeah yeah and that's uh, i thank you for that uh and that's something that i really want to uh to zoom in on right because maybe you had a particular reaction folks in the audience too when rachel said white people do harm because you think i don't do harm but a lot you of do. it is unintentional but yeah. but you but you do harm one of the harms you do is not uh not finding out not learning not doing the work and really exploring what are the things that are within you that have been embedded by a a system that whose foundation is is founded in racism, right? What are those thoughts and beliefs? What is media really put inside of you, regardless of whether you want to admit it or whether you're aware of it? Uh, and the and the thing about it is that we're all swimming in these same waters. Like we do a lot of work, people of color, to dispel the kinds of narratives that are put out there about us that make us feel very much less than right we know that the system is set up to uh to 
favor, to advantage, to to look at white people as the norm, right? It's mm -hmm. what everybody else should be uh, creating their lives around. It's what we should look like. It's what we should sound like. It's what we should talk like. It's what we should aspire to. And if any of this is rubbing you the wrong way, you're like the perfect candidate for <laughs> race because you need to really know and understand that uh, regardless of you being a nice person, Rachel is an incredibly nice person. And like I said, we hit it off right away. Uh, being nice and treating people who are different from you the way that you would like to be treated does nothing to dismantle racism. It just doesn't, right? It's nice. Yeah. We want you to be nice. We want everybody to be nice. The kindness yeah. is what I'm about and love, right? But that is not enough to dismantle yeah. racism. You have to come to the consciousness of the harm that is being done and um, being silent and being uh, ignorant about how racism works, uh, in particular systemic racism. You don't see yourself as the tiki torch person. You don't see yourself as the person who will call someone the N-word. You don't see yourself as uh, running after someone to uh, tell them to get the hell out of your neighborhood. Yeah, those are racist acts, but that is, uh, that's episodic racism. That's episode by episode, easy enough to separate yourself from that. We're talking about a system that affects every part of our lives. So everywhere in education, which is incredibly unequal in this country, uh, uh, to uh, the criminal justice system, right? Yeah. Uh, where, where we're led to believe that uh, Black young black males in particular are criminals and deserve to have to be locked up uh, three and four times more than than uh, white white people or white young white males right mm -hmm. who commit the same crimes when um, so the criminal justice system, uh, the uh, banking system, housing, you know, like everything you can think of health right, healthcare, everything that you can think of that we need to live, right? Systemic racism is a part of, when you talk about mental health, right? And that, um, and that a time when people are really suffering, all of us across the board, that our numbers still are higher, right? Yeah. Three and four times more uh, suicide attempts, right? Among young black uh uh, males and, and females in particular, or those who identify as such, but certainly uh, in those numbers, right? When yeah. we talk about the fact that uh, Black women who are, are pregnant and giving birth are four times more likely to die during childbirth or the three months after than white women are. I mean, it, it, uh, it just goes on and on. It just goes on and on, right? Uh, so, if you don't know these things, if you, or if you feel like someone said them and you felt like they they just couldn't possibly be true, then then you need to really be a part of the work. And one of the things that I love about on the matter of race is it fulfills something that I've always actually wanted to fulfill. I can tell you, as a black woman, as African American, I grew up with two black parents, and we. In our homes, my dad had five sisters and, you know, and I had my grandmothers and in our home, we talked about 
well, the adults talked about. I was not allowed. I was always eavesdropping on the conversations, but <laughs> <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> but the adults talked about, you know, what was going on. And so as an adult myself carrying on, yeah. We talk about it as Black people. People of color tend to, uh, certainly Black and brown people, we tend to gather and we talk about this, unfortunately, because it affects so many of us. I can't even tell you how many people in my family who've had uh, really bad uh, episodes with police officers simply for nothing, just a simple traffic stop or who have been looked at and and you can tell that the narrative that they're being looked at from is a, a criminalized one. And so we talk about this on a regular basis. I don't know white people who get together and when they are together, they, they bring this up and they are able to have really good conversation about it and inform conversation about it. And so that's one of the things that I wanted for On the Matter of Race. Let's create this safe space where you can come together with other like-minded white people, learn from First me, a woman of color, and then my son, Justin, is now involved in the work as a co-facilitator. I mean, so many people in amazing race. Thank you. I know he'd love to hear that, and I will tell him that. But for him, so many people in On the Matter of Race, this is their first experience with a young Black male, other than what the media shows them. And so to be able to Mm. sit in conversation with him, and he is not, uh, you know, this picture of, oh, he's just so... uh, you know, well behaved and polite, you know, he, he's real. <laughs> very real. He's very real. And he is beloved in the on the matter of race community for that realness because he's also very present with what it's like to be a young black male and he's not going to pull any punches. And so I wanted a place where white people can feel comfortable. Like I get to talk about this with other white people and with, with two people of color who are really committed to my learning and also uh, not just the external, like what goes in the knowledge that we learn, but also what's happening inside of me that I can be honest about because it's not all pretty, right? Right. it is not all pretty. And some of the things that come up involve family members and things that we've been taught. And, and so, uh, so I really wanted that piece of the conversation. Uh, I also wanted to say that, uh, you know, I, I listen to you a lot. I, I, follow you and, um, and learn a lot myself. Uh, you know, as a widow, I am uh, looking to get back out there. So, you know, uh, sex and, <laughs> and sexuality, <laughs> to, I mean, like they're talk about wanting to be safe, right? And yeah, those places. And so when I think about when I think about the kinds of things that uh, go along with racism and um, and sex and sexuality. And I think about uh, how there has been this uh, historical fetishizing of uh, communities of color. And I'm trying, I can't think of one that it has not happened with. And we've, you know, when you talk about the, the Black community, there have been some horrific things that have happened. I mean, one of the things is the father of uh, gynecology experimented on Black women without any anesthesia whatsoever. And we have had some horrific 
absolutely horrific things happen, right, to to these women. And then we talk about just like our body structures and how those have been represented, uh, first of all, as ugly, fat, uh, you know, obese, not mm-hmm. not attractive at all, right? And now we're in a time when, you know, white women are getting their lips, right? <laughs> And their and their behinds and and uh, and I know that it isn't just white women, but it is white women, it, right? Yep. In a yep. culture where they have not acknowledged that this has all been not just fetishized, but uh, you know, but even criminalized. It, it just uh, we have lived under this idea that we are not attractive, we are not as attractive as white women, and it is certainly right something that affects our lives uh and including our mental health so um so i say all that to say that there's so much to learn yeah. and most white people are not engaging in that learning well okay so i have two two questions for you okay the first one is as a mom of two boys mm-hmm. you mentioned these things drastically affecting young black men yeah what is that like as a mother Mm. to know yeah it's it's difficult for me on two levels one i'm a mother i love my sons and i i don't like to be someone who worries but i think about their safety all of the time my oldest son just moved to florida so that created (laughs) created a whole nother level Right. Um, both of my sons are uh, brown and darker skinned. And so, and if you don't understand colorism, then again, you're a perfect candidate for the matter of race. It's huge and it's huge in every culture, right? The closer it, the systemic racism has taught us that the closer you are to white, the better you are, the better looking you are, and the better life you're going to have, and the better off you are in general. Uh, the other thing that the other level is that my sons have grown up in uh, a diverse world, but they went to predominantly white private schools because, again, education still was an issue uh, and it continues to be an issue today. It's not solved by any means. We don't have equal access to good education and or good education everywhere. So they uh, they date outside of are just uh, women of color. They do date white women. And so I, knowing historically what that means, if again, if you do not understand that the power that white women have had in uh, historically in creating problems for Black men to the point of their lives being taken. If you don't know about Emmett Till and Carolyn Bryant, the white woman responsible for uh, sending him essentially to his torture and death, she just passed away recently and admitted that she'd lied and and felt no compulsion to come forward and, and, uh, you know, and just take 
accountability, whatever that might be for it, but she's only one of so, 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 so many throughout history. And again, if you don't know this and you think uh, I'm being racist by bringing this up, you know, it definitely is for you, you know, because it isn't, it isn't that it's that I know our history, the history that they're trying to hide from us. Right. So, so for me, it is, it is a matter of life and death for my sons and those every everyone that who looks like them, who I love, right? And everyone in other uh, communities of color that I love, who they're coming for. And then uh, in the LGBTQ plus community, that's an important community to me. Number one, uh, you know, this is they the uh, folks in that community have been a part of the village that have helped me raise my sons. And so they've grown up in this, this loving community. But also when you talk about that community, the numbers of us in, in that community, you know, trans community, the, the highest number of deaths are among uh, Black trans women, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. whatever. Like, and it, very disproportionate. Like, and very disproportionate. Yeah. That's correct. So, uh, so I, so people that I love in all kinds of communities are affected by this. And so, of course, when I look to my sons and my niece, I am in my heart terrified, but in my, in my soul, I am resolved that I am always going to be a part of making, working to make this world a better place Thank you for that. I, my other question, and then we can shift to on the matter of race, and then we'll, mm-hmm. we'll wrap, um, is from a sexual perspective, hmm. how can someone, uh, not someone, how can a white person tell the difference between I'm attracted and want to sexually pursue hmm a person of color versus I am fetishizing this person. Yeah. 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 I, well, I, I would say you, it takes introspection. The very fact that, that you could stop to ask yourself that question is very important, I think, because uh, most people do not. Right. Uh, and I think that that is it really critical that you begin to think about that. Well, uh, my oldest son's ex-girlfriend, she reached out to me to have the conversation. She wondered how I felt about the fact that he was dating a white woman. Uh, and the fact that she was thinking in that way, I thought was really critically important and also different than a lot of white women, uh, young white women. And so Mm. that's number one is to be able to say, let me ask myself the question, what is this about for me? Is it uh, is it this person? If you say you don't see color, please, again, you're a perfect candidate for on the matter of race, you must see color. It is a part of who we are. And unfortunately, this world, this society has made it important in defining ourselves, right? whether you believe it or not, it is truth. So please do not, if you're saying to yourself, I don't see color, then you really do need to do some introspection because you absolutely do and should. If this is a, a, a young person, uh, 
uh, if we're talking about black men, but even if we're talking about black women, right, who also get fetishized, right? Yeah. If this is someone, uh, and again, people who identify as women want to be clear that I understand that, you know, people are non-binary as well, but whoever it is, this person that you are attracted to in love with, uh, please see their their color because it is a part of pride, right? It may have been, the narrative may be negative that the world is putting out, but for ourselves to be able to be in a, a society mm-hmm. where we feel good about ourselves, that's a part of pride, being black, brown, whatever it is, right? And so, so asking the question, making sure that you're asking the question, and then if it's if the relationships tend to be only right, people of color, really asking the questions of of what that's about for you. Uh, when you start to talk about the things that you are drawn to about that person, are they only physical attributes, right? Uh, and so again, right. It's really the chances are you're fetishizing. Have you thought about this before in younger days, right? And again, the only the the either the physical characteristics or the act of, oh, I want to know what it's like to be with a black man or right again just to really think about what are your motives behind that. You might want to just know what it's like to be right with someone from that culture, but why? Right. What is that about for you? Yeah. Uh, So I think that that all of this is about doing the work of introspecting, introspection and being honest with yourself about the answers that come up for you. Are the people that you idolize are people of color? Why? What is that about? Is that because that can be about fetishizing as well? Right, uh, particularly when it comes to those who identify as women and black women and and Latin women with the big breasts and the big behinds and things like that. What's that about? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And hey, uh, being in a world where you're very aware of uh, sex, being sensual and sexual. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but exploring your motives behind it are incredibly important, especially if you are not doing any work around racism, yeah. right? And the history. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thanks for the question. Yeah, of course. I could, I mean, you and I could talk for 15 <laughs> hours. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, if someone is listening to this and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, this is, uh, I, I could probably, I could probably use that. Mm-hmm. You've named a few things throughout this episode mm-hmm. that people can mm-hmm. self-identify and say like, oh, okay, yes, that is me. Mm-hmm. Are there any things that we didn't touch on yeah. that are good indicators for someone of, I need to get my ass in mm-hmm. this program? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say number one, if you are, parenting in any way and and parenting comes in a lot of different ways so uh you could even be a godparent you could be in and uh you know uh, an aunt uncle whatever uh if you're parenting in any way you want to be thinking about what is it that you are doing as a white person right to uh 
to explore this work, uh, to be that person who can have conversations around this, right, with young people. So that's one. The other thing is, are you doing anything at all? Maybe you're giving to an organization. Maybe you've read some books, wondering how, how far down the road you really think you are having just done that, right? Because you're not far down the road if that's all you've done. You cannot get from reading books what you can get from being in conversation with other white people, being led by two people of color. And you just can't. And I, and I can tell you that. You also, uh, if you're somebody who's looking for community, right? I've never really had that and would love to be in community where I said we have five levels and we have people who are in level five who started off with me four years ago because they really love the community and the idea that I can come to a place and talk about these things because these things are not hidden. These things are happening all around us and it, you can choose to ignore it, but why would you choose to ignore it when you have an opportunity to explore it? Right. Yeah. So so I would say that those are two other things. And if there's been a nagging in you, because I do believe that, that there are uh, white people who are like, gosh, I really want to do something, but I don't really know what to do. Well, check us out because we are something <laughs> that you can do that will be really potent and powerful for you, like nothing you've ever experienced before. And if you have an opportunity to to explore that and to be a part of it, why wouldn't you check out what yeah. it is that you could do? Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. It, it's uh, the yes, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it, yeah. I'm sorry. And one more no, thing. Don't we, we can't do it without you. And, you know, and I'm mm. going to say that people of color do not want to say that because we just are so frustrated and fed up. And so angry, right? And don't be afraid of that word anger, because if you really understand the history, you understand why we're angry, right? Um, and so yes. disillusioned, so many of us, that we want to believe that we, to hell with white people who don't want to do this, right? We'll do it ourselves. Well, if we could have achieved dismantling racism on our own, believe me, it would have been done by now. You have to understand some of our history to, to know how hard we have tried and how long that we have tried. So, so it, I say the truth, the, the larger numbers of breaking through to be able to dismantle racism are in all of us coming together, but white people have to come to consciousness around this in large numbers so that we can actually make that change that we want to make and dismantle racism. Thank you for all of that. And for my entire worldview has shifted because mm -hmm. of six months of working with you and your incredible son, who please do tell, I think is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I truly, and, and, you know, for those listening, I just started in level two and, you know, Lynn was talking about how there are five levels. Like if my worldview has shifted in just one level, I can't even imagine what's going to continue to occur. And I don't mean that from a perspective of like, 
oh, yay me, this white person doing like personal development work. I don't mean it through that lens. I mean it through like I'm literally seeing the world differently and it Mm -hmm. is allowing me to show up in a way that is better and can actually help. And and I will still cause harm. I I will make mistakes and I'm going to stumble and I'm going to fumble and I'm going to fuck up and say the wrong thing and hurt people. And that goes for so many different areas of life and, and this included. Yeah. Um, and like you were saying, if there's an opportunity to learn and to do better and to understand the why and the what I, I think that we have a responsibility to take it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm so grateful so, so grateful for your patience <laughs> and your love and kindness and 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 your anger. Yeah. I'm grateful for it. I'm so grateful. Um, you've taught me so much, and I know that anyone listening will feel grateful too. And maybe they're feeling activated. You know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, what, what, what? like, Take a breath and ask yourself why why you feel that and yeah. what's coming up for you. Because like, yeah. if you're white and listening to this and feel activated, like, call, email Lynn. Like, get yeah. get in get in this room. Yeah, yeah. And I was gonna say if you also if you're a person of color, and I know for me there are so many white people in my life who I love and adore, and I and some of them have been on this journey and and some of them I they know I'm always going to call them out and and say you know this is this is work and this is why so if you are a person of color and you know you have white people in your life you love but it's just frustrating you absolutely cannot and will not have these conversations with them please tell them about us go to lynnmorninghurdle.com yeah. we are there on the matter of race send them there uh, because you want to be having these conversations with them and your life as well and we can help them do that for sure lynn thank you if you want to leave everybody with this is impossible after this amazing conversation but if you want to leave everyone listening with one one final thought or thing or feeling or sentiment what do you want to leave everybody with yeah yeah i always get this quote wrong but i think you get the sentiment if um that if you do not believe that one group of committed people can change the world, then you're wrong because that's what always has. And um, we're doing our part and I'd love for you to, to invite you to be a part of that if you're a white person or send your loved ones to us so that your loved ones who are white if you're a person of color uh, because we are changing the world one life at a time, one conversation at a time. Thank you. Thank I adore you. you. I adore you too. (laughs) That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.